Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. Just to remind you, uh, it's awesome to know that we don't just go to a church, that there's a lot happening. There's a lot coming out of this body. I'm so excited that one of you are glad about that. Uh, For everyone else, uh, there's a lot happening. Dad made a statement jokingly in his last sermon on Sunday morning and said, I didn't go to dead parties. I don't plan on going to dead church. Uh, There's nothing more true than that statement. Okay, uh, so that's what's exciting about being a part of Life Church. Uh, on that note, we're just kind of sharing stuff. I am going to get into some incredible stuff this morning. But also, we uh, here on Wednesday nights, Wednesday nights is one of our busiest, most chaotic, and controlled. <laughs> it's called Life in the Spirit. Uh, nights, those of you that don't know, in the back, we bus in uh, well over 100 students every Wednesday night. We teach them, feed them, uh, love on them, invest in them. We keep them here for an hour. Uh, it's an incredible thing that happens here on Wednesday nights, and that's because this church has always been so willing to just go and give and reach. And uh, Wednesday nights is really our heart. We believe in the next generation. If we don't get them, then guess what? One day life church expires because we all getting old and we all going to die, right? Just figure I'd throw that. I bless you with that. Uh, so we're after this next generation. God is doing some incredible things. That being said, I want to say thank you uh, because he loves when I make everybody look at him. I want to give a shout out to Jermaine. He's yeah. sitting in the back. You hardly ever get to see what he does and what's happening, but if you knew the impact that he's having on some young guys in our community, I'm telling you, those are the kind of men that I want to be connected to. I don't, I don't need you to be a theologian. I don't need you to know a ton of scripture. I need you to love God and love people, and that's what he does so well. So I'm thankful for you, Jermaine. You're just amazing. Uh, if somebody just wants to bless him today and give him $100, that would be awesome. He didn't ask me to do that. You just, somebody in here needs to do that for your own sake. Uh, so anyway, let's move on. Y'all ready this morning? Yeah. I've had so much in my spirit and I've done so much writing this week, uh, more than I've done in a while. And so, wow, where do we even begin? Uh, I want to present to you this this concept of man fully alive, but because where this body has been in Joshua chapter 1, Dad has always taught me coming up in ministry that Genesis is the origin of everything. And everything you study in the Bible, you can find its origin. It's the the law of first mention, for any of you that know. Uh, it's, It's first in Genesis. And most importantly, if you can't establish it there, Be very cautious of it. That being said, uh, we also, if you you study the Bible much, if you've heard much about it, the book of Joshua is a type and shadow of the Gospels. Joshua is a type and shadow of the Jesus Christ we see come on the scene in Matthew. Uh, It was Joshua and Yeshua. And, and so that being said, he's teaching me something right now that everything I get into, he's showing me the origin in Joshua. Because everything we're in is the life of Christ. Yes, 
And the first type and shadow we got was in Joshua. So he's pulling me to it in everything that we find, and there's been so much stuff. But I want to share a word with you that God gave me in prayer, and then we're going to build on that. Uh, those of you that have been in the home groups so far, the two that we've had, those of you that have been studying Joshua 1, you already know there is some stuff coming out of Joshua 1. It is literally um, casting the vision and the structure for what Life Church is headed into, and it has been so amazing. But this week in prayer, um, I was standing in that back corner right over there just praying and praying for this family, for Life Church family. And, and God, the Holy Spirit just dropped something into my spirit and said, this year can be a breakthrough for the family so monumental that you'll build an altar for it so that, it re- it, so that you remember it for generations to come. Of course, we've been in Joshua chapter 1, and if you know the story, you know that when they crossed the Jordan, they took 12 stones, they built a memorial altar so that they could remember for generations what God did for them in that moment. And so, of course, my mind went there, and I began to, to look at it, and the thing he began to speak into my spirit was the phrase or the whatever of family breakthrough. And he began to just pour some stuff on me, so I want to pull from Joshua chapter 1, uh, if you want to go ahead and turn your Bible, we're not going to have any scriptures on the screen this morning, so get your Bible out, follow along. In Joshua chapter 1, he began to speak to me on the idea of a family breakthrough. And uh, me just being a nerd, I guess, I had to look up definitions and things of that nature. And so I looked up breakthrough, and it means a sudden, dramatic, and important discovery or development. So a family breakthrough would be the whole family experiencing a sudden and important discovery or a development within the family. And that would, that would be us as an entire family experiencing this type of sudden discovery that's of great importance. Now, I was caught up, me personally, I was caught off guard by the definition because it uses the word a sudden and, uh, and so as I begin to just pray into this word, Holy Spirit began to tell me that suddenly moments always follow a process. They may seem all of a sudden, but if studied further, you will see that there was always a process. Sometimes that process isn't seen to the natural eye, but there's always a process that led to your suddenly. And so he began to give me some very practical examples, such as when you plant a seed, one day it will suddenly break through the ground. But if you know anything about seeds, you know there was a process that led to that sudden breakthrough. There had to be something happening, even though we couldn't see it with our natural eye. In the book of Acts, it actually, in chapter 2, it actually says, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Suddenly there came a wind. Well, that suddenly was on the heels of ten days of a prayer meeting. So the suddenly sounds good. 
If you go study most of the incredible revivals that we read about, the Wales Revival, and uh, there, there's so many of them, it appears to be a sudden outbreak of the glory of God. But when you study into them, I think it's the Welsh one. Is it with the two elderly women? Wasn't that the Welsh revival? If you study into the Welsh revival, you'll find two elderly women who begin to pray and pray and pray. And they kept praying and they kept praying until one of them seen and made one of the greatest statements I've ever heard. She went to her pastor and said, call a revival because Jesus has taken the field. Following that moment, suddenly, Welsh was tur- Wales was turned upside down. So even though to you it looks like, I, I got to hang out here for a second. See, what the problem is, is a lot of times you see suddenlies in someone else's life, and you start thinking, well, how does it happen to them? How come all of a sudden they're getting blessed? All of a sudden they're getting breakthrough. All of a sudden, no, 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 you missed the process because you may see my breakthrough, but you didn't see me on an altar. You didn't see me crying before God. You didn't see me pushing back my plate. Suddenlies, they follow a process. And you don't get a suddenly without your own process. My process don't create your suddenly. My gosh, this has nothing to do with what I'm supposed to talk about today. It's the process that prepares. This this is what I want to show you. When Jesus told them, go to the upper room, he said, if you'll pray for 10 days, this is going to happen. I'm saying who knows their Bible. No, he didn't say pray for 10 days. He said, pray until... So they went into this thing having no clue how long this was going to take. No clue. First day, they prayed. Second day, they prayed. Third day, they prayed. I got to think by the fourth day, someone were starting to say, hey, we ain't got nothing yet. Nothing has happened. Nothing has happened. But they had a word, and based on what he said, They said, yeah, it's been four days, but we're going to go five. Yeah, it's been five days, but I'm going to go six. Yeah, it's been six days, but I just know what he said. And based on what he said, and all of a sudden after 10 days, all of a sudden there came a sound. It's a process. It's a process, and we keep bailing out of the process, so we never get the suddenly. We never get the sun. This is a great idea. I'm so excited about this pre-service prayer meeting, Pastor. I can't wait to get involved in your pre-service prayer meeting for the next two weeks. I'm just going to get all in your business this morning. For the next two weeks, I'm going to be there and I'm going to pray and God's going to pour out His glory and my whole family's going to get saved. Two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. When, when, when's it right to get out? When's it okay to back out of it? God called me and put me in this place. God told me this is where you're supposed to be. This is where you're supposed to work. This is where you're supposed to go. This is only to a few weeks later. You know, I feel like God's calling me some. Well, did God call you or not? Did he say it or not? Because if he said it, all you get to do is remain. 
You get to make no other decisions but remain and say, this is my process. This is where I'm at. And until I get a suddenly, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to come right back here and I'm going to pray. Peter, James, John, I'll see you tomorrow because we didn't get it today, but I'll be back tomorrow because I want my suddenly. I want my suddenly. Oh, gosh. In Joshua chapter 1, Joshua tells the officers, go tell the people, get ready. Tomorrow, or in three days, I'm sorry. Tomorrow sounds better. He should have said tomorrow. Come on, Joshua. Because in three days, we're going into the promised land. That had to feel like a suddenly. Right? Forty years And now all of a sudden, Joshua says, in three days, we're going in. It was a suddenly, but it was a suddenly that followed 40 years. It was a process. There were some things that had to happen. It was a suddenly. See, some of you think Live Church got to the place where we could have full-time missionary and outreach pastors stand on the stage and tell you the incredible impact that we're having around the world. And you think, oh, whew, that suddenly happened. No, 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 no. No, there's been a process. There's been a time when the church was only eight people, but they showed up and prayed, and they showed up and held on, and they kept on until God sent them a pastor, and then that pastor began to send them in a direction, and they kept praying and kept praying, and now all of a sudden... We're impacting Uganda, Africa, and Kenya, Africa, and the Philippines, and the local elementary school are all being impacted. It didn't just happen. Nothing just happens. God is not a God of it just happened. Go study him and know him. He created everything as a seed. Even Jesus himself, don't you think it would have been more efficient if he would have just created Jesus at 33 years old and been like, you do your thing. It, God, you're wasting 33 years. Let's get this done. You're God. But he said, no, 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 no. I create everything as a seed and I give it its process, including Jesus. Including Jesus. We're so after that final thing. We're so after that breakthrough. We're so after the the finished product. And God said, I give everything as a seed. And how you steward that seed determines your suddenly. What you do with it determines whether you get your suddenly or not. So don't blame no one around you. And sure don't blame God. Because your suddenly is based on your stewardship. Joshua chapter 1. Let's just read verses 10 and 11. There's so much to get into. Joshua chapter 1, 10, 11. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, Pass through the camp and command the people saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days you will cross over the Jordan and go into the possess the land which the Lord God has given you. You're about to go into your promise. You're about to get everything he promised you. All you have to do is prepare the provisions. Prepare some provisions. I brought this up last night in our home group because it's something that God has just been so showing me out of this. 
before they could step into their promise, Joshua changes the game on them. See, up until this point, they followed Moses. And if you've read the story, you know when Moses was there, it was the Moses show. Moses strike the rock, Moses split the sea, Moses go see God, Moses write the Ten Commandments. Moses, Moses did everything. And I credit Moses for that. Because God actually says, I'm sorry, Moses, that you're leading such a stiff-necked people. I'm sorry that I gave you a multitude of knuckleheads. Congratulations, Moses. You hung in there when they were all being dumb. So in this process, all of a sudden, Joshua steps on the scene and switches the game. And he says, we're going in the promised land, but we're doing it when each of you get your stuff together. He said, I'm not going for you. I'm not going to stretch out over the, the river. I'm not going to do all. I'm not going to hold your hand. I'm not going to do what's been done. What I'm going to do is tell you, get your stuff together. Get your mind right. Because we're fixing to go into the promised land. So it became the responsibility of every family. Guess what, Life Church? This thing ain't on just us as pastors. It's on every single family sitting in this room. Get your stuff together. Get your mind right. Because we're trying to walk into something that Joshua said, when you're prepared, we're going to go in. We're all going to step into something when you get ready. Get your mind right. I love that. Thank you, Jordan LaFoon. This is where we're at. He said, you need to prepare the provisions what does that mean? Prepare provisions for yourself. Preparations. Joshua knew that this breakthrough was coming on the was not coming on the shoulders of leadership. It would be the result of each family making provisions for themselves. The breakthrough on a corporate level would come when they had breakthrough on an individual level. God pour out revival on Life Church. Right? But I ain't going to get my family right. Because it would be more convenient if you just poured out revival on Life Church and I got to just, you know, kind of get in it. Joshua said, no, 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 no. We're going to go there, but we're going to go when you've gotten it right. We're going to go when you've made the necessary pre pre preparations. I don't need you to be a strong pulpiteer. I need you to lead your family. I know it ain't popular, but I'm going there, all right? He said, make pre preparations for your own family. Don't get up here and preach to me if your family's going to hell. Mm. Don't get up here and preach to me when your home is a mess. Let me put it that way. When your home is a wreck, don't get up here and tell me to get prepared. No, he said, when each family makes the provisions that are necessary, this corporate family is going to enter into something. We're going to cross over into something. So he took the responsibility off of just a Moses and said, guess what? This happens when everyone does their part. Man, we got into some scriptures last night in home church where it says each joint supplies that which is needed for the growth and the strength of the body. Don't complain that the body's weak if you ain't giving it nothing. If you ain't doing nothing, I want to go, I want to go where Scott went last night. See, what happens is, he said, I need, I need you to go home and prepare it in your home. Go home and seek revival for your home. Go home and make the necessary provisions for your home. That's what this is going to take. 
So you may be asking, what does it look like? What does 2020 look like for Life Church? It looks like individual homes making prep, preparing provisions for the greatest breakthrough we've ever seen in our lives. The breakthrough on a corporate level would come when they had breakthrough on individual family levels. Each family had to make moves in faith based on the word that was given. And when each family was prepared, they would experience a breakthrough that they had never experienced in their journey. One so great that they would build an altar to remember it and that it would remain for generations. Each family had to make moves in faith. The officers came through and told every family, we're moving so make preparations. And each family had to, by faith, start packing their stuff. You know why? They've been hearing we going in for 40 years. But by faith, they had to say, you know what? I'm getting my family together. I'm getting my stuff together. I'm making the provisions. I'm, I'm going to make the move. If, if the pastors of Life Church are saying this year we're going into our promise, I'm going to make sure my family's ready to move. I'm going to make sure we're ready to go forward. I'm going to make sure I've made the, prepper, the, the proper preparations of provisions. Good Lord. Because <laughs> you know what? I'm crossing that thing. When this thing breaks open, I guarantee you my family's going to be ready. My family's going to be sitting at the edge of the water saying, any minute now, any minute now, because I ain't missing this thing. My family's going to be ready. My home's going to, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You do whatever you want, but as for me and my house, I'm going to make the proper preparations and provisions that my son crosses this Jordan. Mm hmm this was just supposed to be the intro. See, because in Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, I'm not going to read them all. God tells him, once everybody's crossed over, I want you to pick 12 men and get 12 stones and build an altar so that for generations to come. Actually, it says so that the children of Israel forever would remember what, what kind of breakthrough we had in this moment. You know what he was telling us? It ain't about us. It's about the kids. It's about this next generation. They, they need an altar that reminds them of the goodness of God. And guess what? A Sunday morning service is not that altar. That altar's in your home. That altar's... In, I want to share something right here that I've been wrestling with all week. And I want to do it with the most honor I can possibly... I want to do it the right way. We have been back and forth on stuff like this on because I was raised in church. I'm telling you, I've literally been going to church since the week I was born. You think I'm playing. Mama had me that week. We went to church that week. Right? I grew up sleeping under the pew. I mean, I've, I've, I, I heard a preacher say one time, I've been to church more than Jesus because I went to some churches and he wasn't there. But that's how it was for me, and I was raised in all of it. And because of that, I come up with some bad views on some certain things as it relates to church. And we've had these conversations. We've sat around Mama's Island just hashing this out. But one thing he began to show me was almost everything that I've held on to in my ministry, in my family, 
and how I lead, how I, everything I do, every bit of that I took from what I learned at home. And to be honest, I had to unlearn and reject a lot of the things I learned in church. That being said, I didn't learn it from them. It was people in leadership that taught certain, and I had to figure out how to unlearn things. And when, I under, when he began to show me that everything I needed to know about the kingdom and about life and about church, I was actually learning in my home. I began to take what I grew up in my home and say, that's the kind of community I want to build, not based on a religious system, but based on a home. Based on this is the way. I grew up listening to my mom pray in the spirit for what seemed like forever because I just wanted a snack. Like I wanted to knock on the door and say, Mom, I just want a brownie. But she was in there wreaking havoc on the darkness that was trying to plague our community. And so we would sit outside the door and listen to her rattle off in tongues for hours. And as soon as she'd get quiet... Mom, I need a snack. Can I, can I get a snacky snack, please? That's what I was raised in in my home. And I was raised up in a home to where we didn't turn it off. Oh, my gosh. My parents, they didn't put on a different face when they went to church. They didn't put on a different suit. It was just this is who we are. I remember we hadn't been living here long and uh, somebody else was actually in the conversation and they were telling me because they were so impacted by it. But dad had to run to the grocery store and get milk or something. And usually if dad goes to get anything, he'll be back within at least the next week or so. And, uh, <laughs> but while he was gone, anyway, he showed back up with no shoes on. Now, with my dad... You got to understand, that could be really awesome, or for him it could be, he just kicked him off somewhere. He just doesn't, you know, it's just who he is. But what had happened was he come across a man in the grocery store who didn't have good shoes, so he just took his own off, gave them to the man. Well, the person telling me about it was so impacted by it, and at first I was just kind of like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's what I grew up in. <laughs> like, what's new? You know what I mean? Like, and, but to see that it was the same. So what, why am I saying all this? Because the Holy Spirit had to help me build my life, my ministry, everything about me, not based on some of the things I learned in a religious setting, based on what I learned in my home. Because the home I was in was making preparations and provisions for my breakthrough. Do you see the importance Parents, if you still have kids at home, let the weight of this statement rest on you completely. It's up to you to make the provisions for your kids to cross this Jordan. Make the preparations in your home. I, am, I said this before when I preach, and I am so fully convinced of it, that one of the strictest judgments we will meet when we stand before God is how we raised our kids. If you raised your kids B.C. before you experienced Christ, then there's grace to cover whatever has happened in that moment. But if you are following Jesus Christ, then the way you raised your kids, I am convinced, will be one of the strictest judgments. Why do I say that? Because Jesus said, if you keep one child from me, it would be better that you drowned in a river. 
Put that on a sympathy card. Jesus said that. Why? Because it's how we raise our kids. It's the provisions and the preparations we make to make sure they get across this Jordan. This burns in me probably hotter than any other thing in my life. If I do nothing else in life, my kids will experience incredible breakthroughs. They'll stand on my ceiling and it will be their floor. And they will do things so magnificent and so incredible. Every morning I get up and walk into my bathroom, there's five scriptures across my mirror. And every one of them are promises about my children. There's not one promise on my mirror about me. You know why? I don't need you to know who I am. You're going to know who he is. As a matter of fact, this morning... Me and Stephen were talking and he was saying, you know, he's going to be a preacher and he wants me to sit down and start showing him how I break down my notes and write stuff out. We were talking about, he said, you know, because one day when, and then he paused, he was like, well, it's not going to be anytime soon. Like granddaddy's going to be here a long time. But one day (laughs) when granddaddy's not here no more, you'll take his spot and I'll take your spot. And I'm standing there saying, you have no idea, son. You have no idea. Why? Because we're making some preparations and some provisions. It's not convenient. It's not convenient. It's not convenient to, to put the boundaries on our children that we have put. I'm in it now. I don't know how to back out. It's not popular. Stephen's begging me for a cell phone right now. Begging. He makes really cool little comments like, Courtney said the other day, I can't find my phone. Call it. Stephen said, well, if I had a cell phone, I could call it. <laughs> and now he realized I'm not giving him a cell phone, so he's moved on. But what about one of them smartwatches? I could, you know. And then he tried, you know, well, it helps me with my exercising. I was like, kid, you ain't exercised a day in your life. You don't need it for exercising. Why, why is this? I know it's not popular. And I'm not trying to give you my convictions. I'm just telling you, we're making the necessary preparations and provisions to make sure my child crosses over that Jordan to make sure he walks in the promises of God that God has promised into his life. Until he's of age, the promises over his life are my responsibility. Until he becomes of age to pursue himself, it's my responsibility. And I take it very seriously. So I was going to talk about man fully alive. Let's do this. I heard a story this week about a man who was, uh, no, this is not a joke, this is real. I heard a story this week about a man who was going to buy some land. And the land he was going to buy had no water on it, had to have a well dug. And so he was having someone come in to give him a price. I don't know what you would call that person. Surely they're not actually called a well digger. I mean, does anybody know the name? Because I would like to be. Okay, no one knows. Apparently they are well diggers. Uh, So he had this well digger come in. And uh, was giving him a quote, you know, if you drill this deep, and he was explaining to him all the different things and all that. He said, this is the deal. He said, you could dig, I don't remember exactly what the footage is, so I'm just going to make up my own. So if I'm totally off, no one call me out, act like I'm right. All right? So he said, if you dig 25 feet, you can get drinkable water. And the guy looked at him and said, but if it was my family and my kids, I would dig another 50 feet. He said, it's going to cost you a whole lot more, and it's going to take a whole lot longer, but it's for your family. Oh, some of y'all ain't hearing me yet. See, 
it's going to take a lot more and it's probably going to cost me a lot more, but I'm thinking about him. I'll drink the water all day. I'll, I drink the water on this side of the river. Any of you that live over here know what I'm talking about. You fill up the bathtub, it looks like you're taking a bath in sweet tea. Except it doesn't taste as good as sweet tea. Thank God for sweet tea. <laughs> I'll drink the water over here, but I don't want my kids drinking it. So guess what I do? I take that big five-gallon thing, and I drive my truck every day over there, and I go get the good water, and I bring it back over so that when we fill up Benjamin's bottle, he gets the good stuff. It costs me more. It takes more of my time. It's not convenient. But guess what? I'm going to make sure he's got what he needs. It's going to take a little bit more, and it's going to cost us a little extra. But if it's for your family, I mean it. So the whole idea of this is us getting into the promise, right? Us moving into the promise. What is the promise? That was a question that came out in our home group, and it's such a legitimate question. We're after the promised land. What is the promised land? Dad's been talking about knowing the boundaries, knowing what it looks like. I want to show you something. Have you ever stopped and asked the question, why did Jesus come? Seems pretty basic, right? So I was asking the question, what is the promise? Because the promise has to be found in why he came. Because he came so that we could have the promise, right? So why did he come? And a lot of times we would like to say to die on the cross, wrong. He didn't come to die on the cross, but while he was here, he died on the cross because it was part of the process for why he came. And there's actually two scriptures that give us very specific answers to why he came. You ready for them? Write these down. John 10.10. Some of you know this. He starts with telling us why the enemy is here. The enemy is here to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus himself tells you exactly why he came. He said, but I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. I love Jesus because he don't do nothing halfway. I'm going to move on from that. John 10, 10. I have come that you may have life and you may have life more abundantly. Number two. These are the two reasons that I have found that specifically speak to why he came. The second one we actually get from John in 1 John 3 and 8. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. Anybody know it? That he might destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came for two reasons. That you could have life and to destroy what the enemy had done. Can I tell you, he completely accomplished both of those. It was completely effective. He did both of them. He prepared, so the promise is abundant life. That's the promised land. It may look different as far as how it comes out in your life and what you get to be a part of, and each tribe lived in different areas. I'm not going to get into all that. But the promise is abundant life. He said, I came that you may have abundant life. What is abundant life? And we're going to fly through this last part. Y'all ready? No, I'm not, because uh, I had a prophetic word this morning that said I was supposed to take my time. What is the abundant life? The abundant life is you fully alive. We have to be careful because a lot of times in studying doctrine and, and the life and the teachings of Jesus, it's very easy to think that the goal and the purpose was you crucified. Jesus taught doctrine that led us to the cross and gave us the example of going to the cross. But his goal was not you dead. It couldn't have been because he said, I came that you may have life. So it can't be both. 
So what happens is we see Jesus coming, teaching, and exemplifying a doctrine that leads me to the cross. This is it. Remember, we started this whole thing talking about process. Jesus paints this most beautiful picture of the process. But what I love about Jesus is he shows us this life in reverse. Put it to you like this. The Bible says that for us, the natural came first. Romans, right? Ain't that in Romans? And the spirit comes after. Well, we know for Jesus, it was the other way. Jesus was spirit first and then became flesh to teach us a process. That work? That's, that's pretty simple, right? So he begins to show us. So let me show you something. This is where this began for me. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, they asked this question. What is the chief end of man? That means, what is man's ultimate purpose? The answer to that question is, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What is the ultimate purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Based on that question, we would have to ask another question that says, how do we glorify God? If our sole purpose is to glorify God and enjoy, well, what is it to glorify God? Well, I'm glad you asked. And we're going to ask St. Irenaeus of Leons. He's going to give us the answer. Y'all know him, right? Probably not. He's from AD 185. So that was a long time ago. This is his statement. I read his entire composition that he wrote on this, and it is incredible. But I'm going to use this statement. You ready? The glory of God is man fully alive. The glory, it is, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God. How do we glorify God? Man fully alive. God gave me a statement yesterday in prayer, and I sent it out to some people, that Jesus dying on the cross may have dealt with my sin, but him being fully alive is what gave God glory. Stay with me. Because we usually stop at my sin getting dealt with. And we live there. We live at the cross. We only teach the cross. We only focus on the cross. We try to stay dead. It's, that's the whole sum total of it all. But in reality, Jesus didn't say, I have come that you might die on the cross. No, no. He said, I come that you may be fully alive. But to get you fully alive. Let's go. So based on these two statements... It would lead us to believe that the chief end of man is to be so fully alive that it brings God glory. Are we living so alive that God is glorified by the fact that I'm alive? It's just... In reality, you dying doesn't glorify God. It just puts you in the position to be made so alive that you glorify him. Crossing the Jordan, how does this tie together? Crossing the Jordan was an Old Testament type and shadow of the cross. This is where they died. As a matter of fact, on the other side, they really died. We ain't going to get into that this morning, if you know the story. Crossing the Jordan was the Old Testament type and shadow of the cross, a dying to themselves and trusting that God would raise them on the other side. And then them conquering the promised land was them fully alive. 
They were not living fully alive, wandering around in the desert. They were just surviving. This is where most of the church is at. We're surviving. That's why we come here on a Sunday morning so you give me a fix so I can make it through another week. Get me pretty spiritually jacked up so that maybe it'll last long enough and next Sunday I can come back and get jacked up again. No, 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 no. See, that's the wilderness mentality. That's Moses, you go to God and you tell me what he's saying. We have to cross this Jordan. We have to go through this process of the cross and come to the other side. Because on the other side, guess what? God wasn't handing out manna. I love this. God says, you're going into the promised land. It's incredible. And when you get there, you're going to have to fight giants and get your own food. Oh, thanks, God. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Golly. This is... So them crossing this thing, they come out of, feed me, feed me, feed me. And they step into this moment of becoming so alive fully alive and every king they would conquer brought glory to God. Every land they would take brought glory to God. I don't know how to say this well, but them wandering in the wilderness wasn't giving God any glory. It was all about them. God was just pouring out grace and miracle after miracle and helping them survive and begging them not to quit and trying to convince them not to go back to slavery. I'm describing the majority of the 21st century church. But he brought them to a place and said, I'm about to put you through a dying so that when I resurrect you on the other side, you will be so alive. Oh, come on. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Through him, all things, man. All these It gets to about verse 4, I think, and it says, talking about Jesus, in him was life, life, L-I-F-E. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. In other words, you can't join Colby's outreach team and go out there and fake light. Because light is a response of life. Life is the glory of God. The glory of God is life. And so then if you jump to John chapter 1 verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld what? The glory of the Father as the only begotten. So then what you see is his life created a light that was the glory of God. And guess what? The darkness couldn't do nothing with it. He didn't have to fight the darkness. His life was creating something that took care of darkness. We're wearing ourselves out trying to manufacture a light that deals with darkness. Darkness will snuff out your little fake light 10 times out of 10. 10 times out of 10, your fake light ain't going to do it. But when there's life, when I am fully alive, it projects a light that the darkness cannot comprehend. The darkness can't handle it. We don't need an outreach team. I'm getting all on your stuff because you started it. We don't need an outreach team that is trained well in how to convince people of something. No, I just want a small group of people who are fully alive. And when you're fully alive, every day's outreach. His life was the glory of God. His life 
produced a light. Why does he want you fully alive? Because you fully alive creates a light that is the glory of God. So what is the chief end of man? To be so fully alive that there's a glory for God coming out that deals with everything. Let me give you this and then we're going we're gonna to use this to tie this up. When I went into this man fully alive, I believe us crossing this Jordan as a church, this breakthrough as a family, is going to be us entering into a place of us being fully alive. We're going to be alive like we've never been before. Let me show you this. I did some real extensive research on the word alive. And by real extensive research, I mean I Googled it, and the first thing that came up was not dead. I was like... Thank you, Google, for shedding that revelation into my life. Now I can live and not die. But when you put the word fully in front of it, all of a sudden the word fully actually deals with measurement. So to put a prepositional word, I did learn one thing in school, in front of alive means that all of a sudden alive is measurable. Mm. Jesus said, I'm just looking at the fruit and the fruit lets me know where you measure on being alive. Mm. Stay focused. (laughs) Stay focused. So the word fully actually means completely, entirely, To the fullest extent and no less than. So the glory of God is man completely, entirely, to the fullest extent and no less than alive. That broke down into simplicity means that to be fully alive tells me that there's nothing left to be resurrected. Mm, ain't that just rich? Man fully alive means there's nothing left in me that he needs to resurrect. There's nothing left in there. I, I'm, not, I'm not nailing it at church and he needs to resurrect me at home. I'm not nailing it as a pastor, but he needs to resurrect me as a husband. No, 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 no. I'm fully alive. I'm alive in every arena. I am, I am living a life that creates light in every arena. There's nothing left to be resurrected. He said, I'm bringing you into a place where there's nothing left in you to be resurrected. What does that mean? Resurrected is good. Revived. This is what I really like. The other definition of it is to bring new vigor to Oh, (laughs) yeah. Some of us are thinking, man, I'm living for Jesus, but you could use some vigor. I'm just saying. So to be fully alive means there's no area of my life that he needs to revive the vigor, the passion, the desire. I'm fully alive. I am fully in this. There's nothing left to be resurrected. Man, fully alive. 
Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came that you may have life to the fullest. And that life in the fullest creates a light that brings glory to God. Him dying may have dealt with my sin, but him resurrection, him resurrected brought glory to God. Jesus, this is what we're going to end with. Jesus came teaching a doctrine and giving us an example that would take us to the cross, to a death, to a crossing of Jordan. But in it, he makes a critical statement. He says, in all of his teaching of going to the cross, he stops and makes a statement and says, it's imperative that I go so that the Holy Spirit would come. Why? Why? Jesus, you're teaching me a doctrine and you're giving me an example of headed to the cross. Why is it so important that the Holy Spirit comes? And then he told me this, or he asked me this. What is the one thing that Jesus could not do? He could not raise himself from the dead. He had, the Bible teaches us, he had to have faith in God that by the Spirit, he would raise Jesus from the dead. So why is this so important all of a sudden? He said, it's imperative that I go. He said, why? Because I'm about to teach you how to die, and the Holy Spirit's going to come in and raise you from the dead. Because actually, in Romans 8 and 11, it says, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit came to raise me to be fully alive. So just like Jesus had to have faith in God, that God would raise him from the dead, we have to embrace the cross with faith in God that the Holy Spirit would raise me to be fully alive. Because the process to becoming fully alive looks like me completely dying. The process to becoming fully alive looks like me completely dying. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.